You're listening to Louisiana Insider, a superlative guide to a great state's destinations. Hosted by Errol Laborde, executive editor of Louisiana Life Magazine. It's not Louisiana song. It's my favorite melody. It's not Louisiana song. Hearing it echo through the cypress trees. Our topic today is gambling, particularly the, uh, the history and the politics of the evolution of gambling in New Orleans. Well, this is a guy who knows a whole lot about it, uh, Tyler Bridges, a distinguished uh, journalist who uh, wrote a book about gambling called Bad Bet on the Bayou, which was published in 2002. Uh, he's worked now for the, the Picayune and Advocate. He worked with the, with, with the Miami Herald at, at one time and, and various other publications. Twice he was on teams that won uh, Pulitzer Prizes, and so uh, he's done a lot of good things in journalism. Um, Tyler, looking back at the evolution of, of gambling, I, I wanted to, to talk about like the different elements of it. When people were talking about it what, 30 years ago or so, the first thing that came into play was the lottery, uh, as, as I recall. And even that was a big argument that people thought, oh, it's gonna be corrupt, but ultimately, Ultimately, it happened. And looking back at lottery, I mean, it seems like it's just been kind of, there's never been any, any evidence of corruption, has there? It's just been kind of a straightforward kind of operation. Uh, no, there's not been um, a scandal with the Louisiana lottery, which was legalized in 1990. And I, there is a feeling, I think, among the public that um, it hasn't done what it was supposed to do for education. but. Let me, let me give you a broader answer, if I may, Errol, to what happened when the state was considering legalizing gambling. In fact, let me come back to the lottery, but Louisiana actually had a lottery uh, in the late 19th century. In fact, it was one of the biggest lotteries in the entire country, and it was filled with scandal, and it became a, a national scandal, and it was shut down by Governor Murphy Foster, who would become the grandfather of Mike Foster, who was governor in the 1990s. And I think that, that scandal with the Louisiana lottery and other scandals with gambling um, soured Louisiana and, and, and many other states on gambling. That, uh, you know, gambling started in Nevada in, I think, 1931. And then it really was not legalized anywhere else. You had illegal casinos would pop up. You had them in Jefferson Parish, um, the 30s, 40s, and 50s, also in uh, St. Bernard Parish. Um, but nationally, uh, there was just not an appetite for, for gambling. And then Atlantic City adopted in the 70s, um, uh, in the state of New Jersey adopted casino gambling in, in Atlantic City. And that began to open the door. And then by 1990, uh, Mississippi and Iowa and Illinois had all legalized riverboat gambling. So um, Buddy Romer was the governor of Louisiana. And so then there began to be a push for uh, legalizing gambling. Although I'll, let me jump back just a little even further back in 1986, you remember um, Edwin Edwards at the end of his uh, trial um, after he's acquitted, he called for 
legalizing casinos in New Orleans as a way to reactivate economy that was down on its heels because of the drop in oil prices. So you, it kind of goes back to Edwards in 86 calling for casinos and then uh, the other states start legalizing casinos and then Louisiana, the argument became should keep track with, the, with these other uh, uh, states that are also uh, on the Mississippi River or, or neighboring Mississippi. And uh, so then in 1991, the legislature legalized both video poker and 15 floating casinos. And again, that all happened in the final year of Buddy Wilmer's term as governor. The, um, we're just going back to lottery for a second. There was one part where they brought in General Beauregard uh, to administer the lottery. And I think it was a way to kind of give it maybe a, a more dignified image at that point in time, but it never could, uh, uh, escape the image of a, a scandal. And, and back then they didn't have the controls that they have now over, uh, over lottery. People could pretty much do what they, uh, what they wanted. But you know, with the coming of lottery here, to me a real force in, in influencing it was other states, particularly Florida, uh, doing the lottery. Because all of a sudden you had a situation where people from Louisiana were giving money to friends who were going to Florida to buy lottery tickets for them. And so the Florida lottery became like a big thing. And so at some point it, it became to seem not to make much sense to be outlawing something that the states around us are doing. Yeah, as, as you mentioned, the same thing happened, uh, what happened with the Louisiana lottery in 1990 legalization. Again, it happened with the riverboats because other neighboring states were also legalizing gambling. And so it sort of becomes like, you know, often states will, will uh, fight for, uh, you know, a car manufacturing plant. You know, Toyota wants to build a car manufacturing plant somewhere and states will, will compete for it. And, and, and that same sort of dynamic happened with the uh, legalization of gambling um, beginning in the early 1990s. Who would have thought that it would be Louisiana that would lead, I mean, Mississippi that would lead Louisiana to gambling? Because when you had riverboats in uh, Natchez and Vicksburg, and so, but yet you can cross the river and it was illegal. It didn't make much sense. And then when, and then when you started having gambling uh, along the Gulf Coast and people from New Orleans left an hour away uh, can go there, that didn't make much sense. So that's what really, really opened the door. Right, right. And, uh, and again, it's interesting that I think people have forgotten this, but again, this, this legalization of, of the lottery of the riverboat casinos and video poker all happened under Buddy Romer. Yeah, and uh, when he died, that didn't, if you call it credit, I mean, I think he, you know, he deserves credit for it. Um, for some reason, that didn't seem to get too much attention, but I think that was really one of the important things of his administration. And it probably took a governor from North Louisiana to get gambling across uh, at that period of time. You know, sometimes it takes someone identified with the opposite side to, uh, to be able to push something across. It may have been a harder yeah. sell for Edwin Edwards, for example, had he been governor at the time, uh, than for Buddy Roman to do it. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, but, the, but, but you know, in the early days though, the one thing that made the gambling palatable was the idea that it'd be on the water, either the riverboat or the, um, or the dockside gambling in Mississippi. And I think part of the argument was, well, if we don't like it, it's on the boat, it's really a boat, we can just get it to move and then it could leave. And so, I think the public was a little bit secure in that it wasn't a permanent structure, 
And so that allowed him to build it first. And the first casinos in New Orleans, Krista uh, Hammond's things that he built and the, and the Flamingo Casino. I mean, they were, they were all riverboats. But quickly they found out that customers really didn't want to be going out for a cruise. Uh, yeah, just go, going back to what you said, Errol, you know, because of the public skittishness of gambling, um, it was all done as kind of limited. The, the, you know, there was, Louisiana was limited to 15 riverboat casinos. And as you said, the idea was, that, you know, this is supposed to sort of evoke Mark Twain, um, 19th century paddle wheelers going up and down the Mississippi, where it's going to bring in hordes of tourists. And the land casino was sold as a small sort of Monte Carlo style casino. There would just be one at the foot of Canal Street. Um, but as you said, and nobody paid really attention at all to video poker when it was passed. And um, as you mentioned, the, the, the boat owners um, quickly showed that they knew they would make more money when the, when the boat remained dockside. And so they started coming up with all sorts of crazy kind of silly rules for not cruising, like the boat, the Star Casino couldn't go out on Lake Pontchartrain because there was a light breeze. Uh, the Boomtown Bell couldn't go on the Harvey Canal uh, because, which was full of barges beforehand, it couldn't go out during the day because of barges and it couldn't go out at night because it was dark. And uh, the Flamingo Casino in New Orleans couldn't go out from, uh, from its dock next to the Hilton Hotel because of the river currents were too tough, uh, even though other pleasure boats were going out from nearby docks. But um, um, that was uh, you know, a way for the casino owners to make a lot more money. And so uh, they, they, they soon stopped cruising. And I think for a while, a brief while, during this transition from riverboat to dockside, that, they, that the boats still had to keep a crew. They still had to have like a pilot and deckhands so theoretically, so they could go out if needed, but they never went out. So I had to want to be, be one of the easiest jobs in the world uh, uh, to, to be part of the proof of the land-based casino. Yeah, and I think the uh, you know the original sponsor of the Riverboat Casino was uh, 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 Representative Francis Heitmeyer, and his brother was one of the, the people who benefited from that. From um, as you said. Um, they, you know, the boats had, were built to be paddle wheelers and they were required to maintain a crew. Um, but after a while they stopped cruising and they had to keep having those crews. You know, it was surprising that I think people thought, I mean, who would have thought like 30 years ago, uh, if you look back at it, that dockside gambling would not work in New Orleans, but it worked in Shreveport uh, and still does today. Uh, but the, uh, and I think part of the argument was that New Orleans, there are just too many other things to do, uh, you know, than, um, than to be sitting in the boat. But the dockside just didn't work. The him and the boats, the flamingo, the thing out of the, out of the Lake Pontchartrain. And what did apparently work was the land base, which became what is now known as the Caesars Casino. Right. Um, yeah, the most successful casinos really have been in Lake Charles, and that's attracting gamblers from, from Texas. Um, and, you know, the, the Harris Casino, um, um, you know, was originally supposed to pay the state $100 million a year, but they, they had various problems. They went through two bankruptcies, and now uh, they pay the state only $60 million a year as a minimum. Um, 
And uh, as you mentioned, the, the, the river boats uh, that have done best are, uh, they've done better business up in the uh, uh, Bossier Parish, uh, Caddo Parish, you know, Shreveport Market, but also again, the best of all is in uh, Lake Charles. Well, the thing that Lake Charles and upstate Shreveport, Bossier City have in common is Texas next door. Uh, and so they really survive off of getting that, that Texas money. And it's still illegal in Texas. You think one day, you know, somebody in Texas would say, like we did with Mississippi, it's like, hey, all our people going and gamble next door, maybe we should allow it too. But as long as they keep it illegal in Texas, we have a bit of a boom on, on the western end of the state. Yeah, and that's true. But but the shreveport Bossier market has been hurting in recent years, not because they legalized it in Texas, because they haven't but because Indian casinos within a, a reasonable drive from Dallas have now legalized um, gambling. So that has hurt um, the casinos in Shreveport, Bossier. So what happens in other states, we, you know, we have direct evidence of, uh, of how harmful that can be to the state's bet on gambling. Yeah. We're talking to Tyler Bridges, a uh, uh, journalist who, uh, who wrote the book called Bad Bet on the Bayou about the evolution of, um, of gambling. You know, you know, Tom, I'm glad you mentioned Indian casinos because a lot of times in the conversations about gambling, people forget about that. But these are land-based casinos. I guess maybe they were the first land-based casinos. And the, the rule was, was that if you were in a place where there's an Indian reservation, a fairly recognized Indian reservation, you can have a casino, which is under federal guidelines. I think originally it had to be in the, on the reservation but then they said, well, no, if, the, if you're in a town that has an Indian reservation, it can be somewhere around there. And you saw these casinos develop. And uh, the one I know best is, um, is Marksville, but in Southwest Louisiana. And boy, I got to tell you, at first, I didn't know what to think about it. But I've seen personally, the one I know the best is Marksville, because that's where all my family's from and where I was a Katrina refugee. And you know, this is a little country town where not much was going on. And now, in fact, I was looking at the other day, look at the theater and Marcia, Martina McBride is playing there. I remember Wayne Newton was playing there one. I guarantee you Wayne Newton and Martina, Martina McBride never played in Marksville before. Uh, you know, they have white tablecloth restaurants and they have activity and things for people to do. And to me, it seems like it's, um, well, I know it's helped the economy there, and I, I know there's some pitfalls to gambling, but overall, uh, uh, it seems like it's been good for the places where it's been. Well, I, I don't know the specifics there. I will point out that, you remember that money that the casinos are winning is coming out of the pockets of, of people, and that's money that they're not spending elsewhere. And so um, it's quite possible that a, a lot of money that's being spent in that casino has been, is money that's coming out of the local economy through cannibalization effect. And that money is not spent on local restaurants and shoe stores and, and, and the like um, in that Marksville area. Even though they could be, uh, be being spent at restaurants in the casino. I have seen tour buses there that come in. In order to where the tour buses come in from Texas and uh, uh, in, in, in in, in my personal religion, that, uh, that casino gambling is okay as long as it takes in money from Texas. That, uh, that uh, you know, that, that even those casinos are getting a lot of the money. Um, 
part of the early resistance to gambling, not just in Louisiana, but everywhere, was the fear of organized crime, uh, you know, the fear of the mafia taking over. That doesn't seem to have happened. And it's not even the case in Las Vegas, we understand that, that essentially organized business chased the, uh, uh, the mafia out of Las Vegas. Um, you're right. Organized business did chase the mafia out of Las Vegas, and uh, those fears of organized crime you know, infiltrating New Orleans or you know, being major players here because of the legalization of gambling, that, that never came uh, to pass. Here, I don't, really, I don't think, as far as I can tell, organized crime doesn't have a, a real role in gambling anywhere in the country. It seems like it's been pretty much decimated by uh, law enforcement. Yeah. In the uh, now, before there was legalized casino gambling, there was casino gambling. There was, uh, uh, particularly in Jefferson Parish, and in Jefferson Parish, I think he could make a case that there was probably more of a mafia influence uh, over there. Sure, Carlo, you know, yeah, Carlos yeah. Marcelo, the, yeah, yeah. the, the yeah, boss of the, uh, the mob. And then I, you know, I should point out, and I tell the story in my book, Bad, Bad on the Bayou, that the remnants of the Marcelo crime family um, did get involved in. Uh, um, uh, video poker and the uh, federal prosecutors and the FBI here in New Orleans caught wind of what they were doing and, and busted them up. Yeah, and so if you look at the whole saga of gambling, the only, am I right that the only legal action against people associated with gambling may have had to do with video poker in the early days? Yeah, I, I, that's probably fair. Yeah, the uh, well, think about video poker, it's like a story in its own because it's, it's the one form of gambling. It doesn't have to be in a casino. If you got the license, it could be in a, in a restaurant, in the bar, as, as long as it's cordoned off. And so that's really maintained its, its presence more than anything else. But the thing that really surprised me was when they essentially passed a law saying if you have a truck stop, and if you have a truck stop, then you can have video poker. Uh, there, were, there were rules, they had to be separated and you had to have um, so many machines. But once they did that, all of a sudden you see these signs, these truck stops that calling themselves casinos. Yeah, that was um, part of the original video poker legislation. Uh, nobody really understood that uh, we would get these truck stop casinos like we've gotten because of that 1991 legislation, but now, um, I think 75% of the uh, uh, of the revenue that comes in from video poker comes from these video poker truck stops around the state, and they're now protected under law that you can't basically build any more. So uh, I think the owners of those truck stops are making a lot of money. Um, and so it's still being productive, as far as we know. Well, productive is is how you define it. Um, there's a, a number of economic analysis that think it's not a good form of gambling because the money comes right out of the pockets of locals. And again, this is money that locals are not spending at, uh, at local restaurants and shoe stores and appliance stores and hardware stores uh, that it's going to uh, into these machines. And you have some people, unfortunately, who, are, who can't control their, their gambling and they can gamble away the family's money and resort to crime and things like that. But certainly if you're the owner of that casino, the truck stop casino, or if you work there, um, then it's a pretty good thing. And also the state does get revenue from video poker as well. 
And if it's truck stops, it's probably not all locals. It's, I mean, probably people passing through. Uh, well, that was the theory, but I, I think the studies are that it's mostly locals. So again, that's money not being spent on other local activities. I mean, that reminds me of like when the Dome Stadium was being, before it was being built, when, when there was the argument, when there was a debate, and people would say, we shouldn't be building a dome stadium, we should be building on schools and hospitals instead. And there's no guarantee that, that money was going on schools and hospitals. I mean, the money, the tax money, people may have gone out of state. They, they might have gone to Las Vegas and played. I mean, you can't always be sure where, where that kind of extra money is going to go. Yeah. Well, and I should mention, you know, the full title of my book is Bad Bet on the Bayou, The Rise of Gambling in Louisiana and the Fall of Governor Edwin Edwards. And we haven't talked about him yet, but he, um, you know, the video poker and the Riverboat Casinos were legalized under Buddy Romer, and then he lost re-election in that 1991 race, you know, the race from hell, where it was Edwards and Duke in a runoff, at David Duke. And so then it fell to Edwin Edwards in, in the afterward then to put in the rules in place. And he clearly used the state police and pressured the state police to make sure that certain people got licenses. Um, and he put his thumb on the Riverboat Commission. Um, and he ultimately went to prison when Edwards did uh, for, you know, for being tried for extorting uh, companies that were trying to get Riverboat uh, uh, gambling licenses. And uh, it's an interesting saga uh, to say all this, you know, having um, with Edwin Edwards just having passed away at 93 years old. Yeah. Um, but he always maintained that what he went to prison for wasn't for anything he did as governor. It was all after after he, he, he was governor. Well, some of it was, but he had so much political stroke um, because he had been governor you know, four times and uh, he was convicted of extorting money from people trying to get riverboat licenses given awarded by the state and with the belief that he still held a, a lot of political influence and uh and that uh case went to the conviction went to an appeals court and uh and it was uh, up the ruling was upheld and and so he did spend eight and a half years in prison so it's kind of an interesting thing where Edwin Edwards, when he was first governor in the 70s, you know, he liked to sort of flaunt that he went to Las Vegas, unlike another politician who would have tried to hide it. He didn't hide it, and he'd make jokes about it, and the public laughed along with it because he was so charming and fun. Um, and then, as I mentioned, in 1986, uh, in his third term as governor, at a time when the, the state's economy was uh, in a mess, um, he called for casino gambling. Um, the legislature wouldn't go along with that, but uh, just a few years, the legislature did go along with it. And then when he was in office in 92, that he got the legislature to approve the single land casino for New Orleans. And uh, you know, Edwin Edwards' vision in 1986 uh, uh, of casino gambling uh, uh, has now, it's, it's now you know, a major uh, industry um, throughout the state in terms of jobs, but particularly tax revenue for the state state uh, treasury. And But again, it, it did lead to his, um, downfall. Uh, you know, when I wrote his obituary the other day, you know, part of the lead of his obituary is that he spent eight and a half years in prison for corruption from gambling. And at one point he was advocating uh, hotels. Um, and that was back in 1986, yeah, yeah, when he first proposed it. And that was pretty, 
that was criticized by the way. The, the idea of the land base, you know, the one land based casino in, in New Orleans, which is now the Harris. Um, originally, you'd mentioned back in those days, people were talking about a Monte Carlo style casino. By that, that is a fairly small plain casino where you don't have dancing girls and theater. I mean, you go in there and you gamble. I mean, I mean, it's with a, sort of a, a straightforward yeah. thing, that kind of thing. And, and, going back to going back to what I said a few minutes ago, Errol, about the the limited nature of gambling. That's what the original. That's what how it was sold originally to the public. You know, only fifteen uh, riverboat casinos, a single casino in New Orleans, and as part of that. Um, the casino was not allowed originally to have a hotel or restaurants or meeting rooms because the whole the argument was that, you know, the, the casino in New Orleans would only be a success if visitors came here, if they were to gamble, great, but then that they would go out to the, onto the, to the French Quarter and nearby restaurants and spend their money there. You didn't want them spending all their money inside the casino or, or a hotel that belonged to the casino. But uh, after the casino went bankrupt, uh, the argument of the casino owners is, hey, we need to have these other amenities to be able to be successful. And, and hey, you politicians, you guys are in business with us because of all the tax revenue we generate and the jobs we generate. So uh, Harris today does have a hotel. They're in fact getting ready to build a second hotel and uh, they're gonna be opening up restaurants and, and other sorts of amenities that they originally were not allowed to have. Yeah, the restaurant industry was very critical of it at, at the time. But, but you know, I think they have like a buffet and they have a, a Ruth's Crisp, but the, most, but the rest of it is more um, um, like in a shopping center where you go around the different, um, different vendors. Like a food court. Yeah, 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 a food uh, uh, court sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, as I said, that, that's going to change because of uh, legislation that the, the legislature approved uh, um, a couple of years ago. And, and I think that's the story of what's happened in Louisiana is that uh, the gambling industry, the various forms of the gambling industry have been able to get their foot in the door and then they just crack the door open wider and wider under the argument of, that if the legislature doesn't give them more, then they won't be able to pay as much in taxes and people will lose their jobs. Well, curiously, on the day that we're having this conversation, uh, the legislature or legislative committee approved the deal where the Superdome is going to be renamed into the Caesar Superdome. So Caesars is going to be the new name for the, for the Superdome. Uh, very tight about giving specifics, but they say over 20 years, it's going to be worth about $178 million. So yeah, and that's, that's uh, again, that would have been unthinkable 30 years ago when Louisiana legalized gambling, when other states were beginning to legalize gambling. But you know, sports was always something that was completely off limits to the gambling industry. But now we see casino companies uh, um, advertising um, uh, for various sports teams. And we now have a football team in the NFL in Las Vegas. And we, now we have sports betting that's been legalized in Louisiana and many other states. And so uh, uh, professional sports has now gotten in bed with the, uh, the gambling industry again. And that was unthinkable. 30 years ago. And that was a big deal because the, the, the major leagues would not allow a franchise to operate where there was sports betting. And now it's all over the place. Okay, we're gonna do, um, I wanna get back, I wanna ask you about uh, flat machines, but first just a, a little pause here. We're trying to think, we, we always try to have a couple of songs related to the topic. 
And we came up with two. We'll just play a little, a little bit of them. But first, the first one's by Jimmy Rogers, and it's uh, in the jailhouse now. And what I think is amusing about this song is he talks about his friend, I think, Rambling Bob, who used to cheat, gamble, and rob. By the way, why do you want to have a friend who cheats, gambles, and rob? I don't know. But then uh, apparently he started gambling, and, and he was thrown in jail, so he's in the jailhouse now. But Jimmy Rogers in his song also talks about the kind of card games that he likes to play. So a little bit of Jimmy Rogers. I had a friend named Ramblin' Bob who used to steal, gamble, and rob. He thought he was the smartest guy in town. But I found out last Monday that Bob got locked up Sunday. They've got him in the jailhouse way downtown. He's in the jailhouse now. He's in the jailhouse now. I told him once or twice to quit playing cards and shooting dice. So I told him once or twice quit playing cards and shooting dice. He's in the jailhouse now. Let's go ahead and do the other one right now. Hold on. Uh, that was Jimmy Rogers with a D in the middle, okay? This is Kenny Rogers uh, without a D in the middle. Uh, and this is a song done in 1974. It's, 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 it's The Gambler. And, you know, and listen to this. I never paid that close of attention to it, but it's really a, a brilliantly written song with the metaphors that they use between gambling and, and life, okay? And, uh, and so just listen to a little bit of this. Kenny Rogers, The Gambler. On a warm summer's evening On a train bound for nowhere I met up with a gambler We were both too tired to sleep So we took turns of staring Out the window at the darkness To boredom overtook us And he began to speak He said, son, I've made a life Out of reading people's faces And knowing what the cards were by the way they held their eyes So if you don't mind my saying I can see you're out of aces For a taste of your whiskey I'll give you some advice So I handed him my bottle And he drank down my last swallow Then he bombed a cigarette And asked me for a light And the night got deathly quiet and his face lost all expression Said if you're gonna play the game, boy You gotta learn to play it right You got to know when to hold up Know when to fold up Know when to walk away And know when to run You never count your money When you're sitting at the table There'll be time enough for counting When the deal Anyway, that advice, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, uh, know not to count your money when you're sitting at the table. Man, I can get you through life. I mean, just follow that, <laughs> you know, make that your key rules for that. <laughs> what I want to ask you um, about is um, uh, slot machines, which I guess is the basis of all casino gambling. I, I would guess that probably of everything played in the casino, um, Slot machines, I guess maybe, but it's certainly the simplest. 
but there's been a lot of um, flexibility with allowing slot machines. And what they come to mind is, is racetracks, that the fairgrounds in, in New Orleans have a, a whole area now, which they call a casino, which is all slot machines. And in, uh, in, 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 uh, in Lafayette, Evangeline Downs, they call it, they don't call it a, cas a casino or a racetrack, they call it a racino, uh, which is slot machines. So, um, and the racetrack industry is troubled. I mean, it's, it's gone through hard times. And so we, we see examples of slot machines actually saving or trying to save uh, racetracks, which by the way, was the original form of legalized gambling. Well, yeah, you had racetracks for years and years and years in this country. And then with the legalization of all these other forms of gambling, uh, that hurt the racetracks. And so then what happened is, well, uh, you know, so because the other forms of gambling, the casinos that, that spread throughout the country hurt the racetracks, then you had to introduce more gambling at the racetracks to try to offset some of their losses. So that's why you do have the racinos um, in Louisiana and uh, throughout the country. And, and I think they probably are keeping up, propping up the, uh, the racetracks to a certain extent. And in fact, the legislature, Louisiana legislature in 2021 passed another measure to, to allow an additional kind of uh, uh, gambling machine at the racetracks to, to help prop them up even more. Well, I know in New Orleans, New Orleans uh, City Park, which has always gotten um, very, despite its name, it's gotten no support from the city and a little bit of support from the state, but the state allowed it to get a certain percentage from the uh, the fairgrounds. And I think it originally was like a, like a million dollars a, uh, a year and they, and they may have enhanced that a little bit. And so it helps a little, I mean, you know, so. There. Well, and that's how you build political support, Errol, is, is these various forms of gambling have all sorts of ways that money, instead of going into the state general fund, it's, it's directed to various entities, including City Park. There is money for, I think, bull weevil eradication up in North Louisiana. There okay. is money that, yeah, there's money that goes for um, uh, education for um, children. Uh, small children, um, their early childhood uh, uh, education. So that, that this builds up political support among all sorts of different groups as you divert a little bit of the money towards them and then they become a supporter of that industry. Well, we've started this conversation talking about the lottery and you mentioned that there's some discussion that the lottery has not done as much for education as it was as, as expected. And that was one of the selling points of the lottery. Uh, um, where's the money going to go? Well, we're going to dedicate it to education. We could be more wholesome than that. But is, is it true? Has it, come, has it fallen short on the expectations? Yeah, anybody who looks at the amount of money that the state spends on education, you know, what it does is that, that what the legislature, what the, the lottery does provide money for education on the top. And then lawmakers over the years, they do it every year, they take it off the bottom. So it, it's no net increase in money for education. And now the lottery folks would take issue with, with, with what I'm saying and they would say, no, the money goes for education. Well, there's no net increase from the lottery because the legislature just takes away uh, roughly an off, uh, offsetting amount. So uh, I, I don't think you can really argue with a straight face that the lottery has really benefited education in Louisiana. The um You'd mentioned earlier that, that Lake Charles was, a, was the town that's done 
the best with gambling. Is that correct? Yeah, and then today there are you know the two biggest casinos in the state, uh, La Berge and Golden Nugget. Um, you know those are full bore casinos um, that are in Lake Charles, and they're an essential part now of the uh, economic and social fabric of that town. And then there's a little barrage in, uh, in Baton Rouge also. Um, yeah, but, 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 but going back to something you said, Errol, what happens if Texas legalizes gambling? What does the, the state of Louisiana do then? You've got these big casinos that pay a lot of money to the tax revenue of the state. You've got people employed. Uh, I guess the, the, the legislature could approve a sharp reduction in taxes to try to help uh, benefit them. But um, that's an interesting question is, is, is will Texas at some point legalize casino gambling. Well, that's why if we were impartial observers now, we should always hope that Texas elects Republicans to be governor uh, uh, because it would be uh, in our best interest, I guess. Where do you think this is going? Looking over, when did the first um, casinos open? It was about 30 years ago, wasn't it? Isn't it? This year's the end well, of the it was, it was approved in 30 years ago, the, the, the Riverboat Casinos and the Video Poker. The first casino that opened was, uh, I say legal, because again, we had this tradition in Louisiana mm -hmm. of illegal casinos run by the mob in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. But the uh, Star Casino, uh, the Riverboat operated by or owned by Louis Roussel, a businessman, opened on, on Lake Pontchartrain in 1993. That was the first one. And it really, it, it didn't succeed. It was, I remember it was a big, it was success, yeah, it was successful for, for a while, but, uh, um, you know, it, it, I don't think it even lasted through the 1990s. Um, and uh, of course, as you know, as you mentioned, the original idea of, of, of these riverboats on the Mississippi, the Flamingo Casino uh, left. Chris Hammeter had uh, two casinos, uh, uh, right, where Mardi Gras World is. Um, they went belly up. So the um, Mississippi River in New Orleans where the boats were supposed to go, well, there haven't been any there in I'd say at least 20 years. Yeah. And so the only thing that's on Lake Pontchartrain that survives is the treasure chest out in, uh, uh, in Kenner. You know, when Chris Simmons opened those two book, boats, the idea was originally because they knew people didn't want to stay on the boat when it was in, in transit when they're gambling. And so the idea was you'd be in one boat uh, um, and, but before it left, they say we're going to be leaving in a half hour, and that would be a signal to go to the other boat. And so they, they, uh, they kind of moved people back and forth. But after a while, that just didn't work either. Uh, uh, the whole uh, the whole concept didn't work. So Tyler, where do you think this is going? Like ten years from now, uh, will gambling just have found its own level? It'll still be around, but not meeting the expectations, or will something happen that will have rejuvenated it. Well, there's only so much money that people can gamble. And apparently from what I've seen, people in South Louisiana particularly do spend more than the national average on gambling. So, you know, at a certain point it gets saturated and we may be at that point already in Louisiana. And, um, you know, in, in terms of, you know, real dollars, when you factor in inflation, the amount of the states capturing uh, from the various forms of gambling has gone down by about 25 percent in recent years. Um, I guess the, you know the practice has been that if the industry needs help, they get various bailouts. 
whether it's reducing that $100 million minimum payment from the land casino in New Orleans to $60 million, uh, to the riverboat casinos no longer having to cruise, uh, and that uh, new forms of gambling to try to prop up the race horse industry, that um, you know, if, things, if, if, if the industry continues to have problems or not bring in the revenue expected, I'm, you know, there'll be a push to the lawmakers to give them uh, more breaks. And I guess, you know, where was the state ranked nationally on the various metrics of, of healthcare, of education, the economy when gambling was legalized 30 years ago? Where is the state ranked today on those various metrics? Has it really produced a net benefit to the state? Um, yeah, a certain number of jobs have created. Those people who have those jobs really want to keep those jobs. A certain amount of revenue comes into the state every year. Um, um, but where is the state overall, the, the economic and social and education health of the economy uh, of, of the state today versus 30 years ago? But then on the other hand, if we go back to the people from Louisiana going to Mississippi to gamble, we lose on that too. Um, no, you're right. There, it's it's a hard thing when the, the neighboring states adopt this uh, this sort of stuff. And, All right. Um, we have to do a little thing called this or that. Okay, and this is just a uh, questions. Would you prefer? There's nothing. We don't hold you to this. Okay. Uh, we don't take this as a journalistic commitment on your part. It's just a fun sort of thing. And we call on Kelly, our producer, to talk about this. All right, so we obviously have a theme for today's this or that. Uh, the first this or that is racetracks or casinos. Uh, say racetracks. Agreed. I think it's more fun. There's more. Well, yeah, because you can go on, you can go and see the horses, and places and all that damn noise. Uh, <laughs> well, well, but of course, when I think of the racetrack, I think of the uh, of of jazz fest too. So yeah, good point. Exactly. Um, the second one is buffets or table service. Do you like your casino with a buffet? <laughs> I would say when I was younger, I liked to eat a lot of food. So I would have said a buffet, but uh, I don't try to eat as much food as I can anymore. So I would say table <laughs> service. All right. The realities of life. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, okay. Slots or video poker? I guess I would say slots because it, to me, there's, I, I like the sort of simplicity of it. Uh, whereas video poker, I think has become sort of a, a sophisticated form of gambling. But again, I, I sort of like that, that sort of old style. And maybe I'm thinking of a movie there or, or two that I've seen where they were playing sort of old style slot machines. Yeah, video poker for better or for worse, you do have to think a little. I mean, yes. you have to kind of reason a little bit and take, <laughs> and take a chance. Whereas slots, you just, Push Just a button. Eh? Push the button or pull a lever, and that's about it. <laughs> and the final one is cards or dice. Well, there's various card games that I like, um, but but these are card games that you don't have at a uh, in a casino. I, I like to play hearts and and and. Oh, I love hearts. You like play hearts too, yeah? Do you count your cards? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm smart enough to do that, but uh, so I'll go with cards over dice. There you go. Agreed. That was it. You passed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And fine, before we go, I, I was just thinking about um, 
the casino industry having to keep drawing attractions and we see it with the downtown New Orleans building its second hotel. They've just opened a, uh, a theater space um, called the Fillmore uh, Theater of the Canal. So they're trying to um, bring in acts. But look at Las Vegas, that several years ago, Las Vegas was seeing a decline. And they said, well, we need to be more family friendly. We need to bring in more families. So you started seeing all these roller coaster rides and, and, and all these circus kind of things. And then after a few years, they say, well, this isn't working. Um, we need to go in the opposite direction. We need to be more adult. And so they started with the, you know, what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. And so they went from the family friendly to the, what happens here stays here. And I guess that's the future of these, of these, of these places. They have to keep on redefining what their message is. So, so are, are you thinking of a slogan of what happens in New Orleans stays in New Orleans? <laughs> it may be. Jack, I think that's already true, you know, so anyway. Tyler, thank you very much. Uh, I know the book was done in 2002, but it's still a very, very um, important book. And uh, thanks for all you've done. My pleasure. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to Louisiana Insider. Subscribe, like, and rate our show where you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media at Louisiana Life Mag. Executive producer for Louisiana Insider is Kelly Massico in cooperation with Louisiana Life Magazine. For subscription information to Louisiana Life, call 504-828-1380. Our theme music was provided by Rich Collins. Hey, that's me. Join us again next week for more discoveries inside Louisiana.